Welcome, listeners. Today's NK News podcast is a special on-site recording in the office of Yonsei University Distinguished University Professor Moon Jong-in. Professor Moon is Special Advisor to President Moon Jae-in of South Korea for Foreign Affairs and National Security. He also wears many other hats, being or having been a Krauser Distinguished Fellow at the School of Policy and Global Strategy of the University of California, San Diego, and co-convener of the Asia-Pacific Leadership Network for Nuclear Nonproliferation and Disarmament, APLN. That's quite a mouthful. He's also the editor-in-chief of Global Asia. Did I miss anything, Professor Moon? No, you didn't miss anything. Fantastic. I'm very, I'm delighted to have you here on the show, so thank you for giving me some time today. Oh, my pleasure. Now, um, how did you become current President Moon Jae-in's special envoy for peace and unification, and what's your actual role in that? No, he, you know, picked me up and asked me to serve as special advisor, and I accepted it. My role is to advise the president on unification, foreign policy, and national security issues. And also I share my understanding of his policy on unification, foreign policy, and national security with a wide segment of Korean population and overseas population. Therefore, on the one hand, the policy advisor, on the other hand, kinds of sharing information on his policy with uh, domestic and foreign audience. So when you travel overseas, for example, to the United States, are you acting as in a capacity as a, a sort of a special envoy? Not a special envoy. The nice, you know, when I you know, speak for the government, I indicate that uh, I'm speaking for the government. But in most cases, I speak uh, on myself. Therefore, I, do not sp- I did not speak for the government. Therefore, I alternate between government mm-hmm. view and my personal views. Do you feel that your ideas are being uh, influential in shaping uh, South Korean foreign and security policy? Yeah, to some extent. Are there any uh, big things that you'd like to see included that haven't been included yet? No, I did overall, you know, starting from the double suspension of ROK U.S. joint military exercise and North Korean you know, nuclear and missile test. And afterwards, you know, I have been consistently advocating engagement with North Korea. And the government also followed a similar path, you know. I wouldn't say that the government followed my view, but because uh, key decision makers in the government and I used to work in in a progressive camp on the unification policy, therefore we have a shared understanding. And I would say that we were members of epistemic community on Korean peace and unification. That is why there has been similarity. More than that, what I've been arguing for was simply based on common sense and then, you know, the stream of history. And then a government also followed a similar path. Now, it's sometimes said that your mission is partly to send up trial balloons, saying things and testing ideas that President Moon might like personally, but that are not are quite mainstream ideas yet. Is that accurate? No, it is not accurate. I was speaking for myself, and government later picked my ideas. But that my ideas were not really what the, my own independent ideas. There was a shared policy abuse among many in South Korea. Now, in South Korea, of course, a, uh, uh, the um, uh, presidency is limited to one five-year term here. So in a couple of years, uh, you know, a, a, a new president will be inaugurated. Do you hope that you might serve the following president too in some capacity related to uh, unification or foreign affairs? Oh, yes, of course. No, they share my view of unification and peace policy. And I'll be more than happy to support them if they have different views, no matter how, you know, 
the progressive the, the new government could be. Uh, if their policies are different from me, then I can criticize them. Uh, no, I'm I might have to come back to that one. That's an interesting point you raised there. Do you have any ambitions to be foreign minister at any stage? I'm too old to serve as foreign minister. You know, I do not like to hold an you know, official position. Ah. There are too many constraints. I'm, you know, by nature and free, liberal, and a man of imagination. Therefore, yeah. I wouldn't really fit for the government position. Okay, that's an interesting point. Uh, how do you feel North-South Korea relations are going at the moment? Oh, it, is, it is kind of a stalemate, yeah. uh, but I hope then that they will overcome the current stalemate and will resume inter-Korean exchange and cooperation in the near future. Why are they at a stalemate? No, since the Hanoi summit, you know, there was a North Koreans had a great anticipation that the Hanoi summit will bring about the major deal so that North Korea can be freed up from the you know, United Nations sanction resolutions and engage in more, you know, proactive in you know, economic exchange and cooperation with South Korea. But that, that didn't take place. And therefore, North Korea must have been somewhat upset. Mm. But doesn't it seem to be misdirecting its anger or upset feelings towards South Korea instead of the United States? No, because North Korea has its own view, you know, because North Korea has been always arguing that uh, South Korea should take more independent actions mm. uh, apart from the United States. But our government has been emphasizing the close coordination with the United States. If our government does not really offend uh, the United States, that created kind of been kind of you know the dilemma for the Moon Jae-in government. The North Koreans has been you know, calling for what they call the national you know, the interest, the, the interest of Korean nation. Meanwhile, the United States has been urging South Korea to stick to the alliance interest. But President Moon has to you know defend the, the national interest and state interest of the Korean people. Therefore, I would say that the Moon Jae-in government was, has been somewhat in a sandwich between mm. North Korean demand for the Korean national interest and American emphasis and alliance interest. The, the term national interest, when North Korea uses that term, are they referring to the Minjok? Yes, Minjok, so the, the, Minjok-i. So all the, Kore- the, the Korean people of, of the whole Korean po- uh, peninsula, not just the South Korean national interest. Precisely. And when, when you mention that, when you refer to national interest, that President Moon has to defend the national interest, which do you mean? The, that's a Kukai. Okay, so you're referring to the, the interest of the Republic of Korea. And, uh, and its people. And its people, yeah. Mm. Okay, now, uh, last month we had the first anniversary of the Panmunjom Declaration. Uh, it was a sort of a, uh, a kind of a, a little bit, to me, it looked sad and lonely there at, at Panmunjom. There, there was no a delegation from the North. Uh, President Moon simply sent a video message. Uh, why do you think North Korea felt that it should not attend that celebration? North Korea thinks that the South Korea has not you know, kept, kept with you know, promises embodied in the Panmunjom Declaration. If you look at the Panmunjom Declaration, Article 1 is, uh, uh, is to promote the inter-Korean exchanges and cooperation. Article 2 is about the military tension reduction. And mm-hmm. Article 3 is about the adoption of the end of war declaration and complete denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. But there was some progress in Article 2, you know, military tension reduction. But uh, Article 1, there was virtually no progress because of the United Nations sanction 
you know, resolutions as well as uh, American you know, tough sanction policy on North Korea. But it, couldn't it be argued that South Korea did as much as it could do under the constraints formed by the sanctions? I mean, it set up the uh, the liaison center. It sent those uh, railway workers to go and look at uh, the North Korean railway network and, and talk about, um, you know, what would it cost and how would it work to uh, to fix the railway? Um, couldn't that argument be made? Uh, North Korea would argue that the South Korea should go beyond that. Okay? Having a liaison office in Kaesong is about facilitate the inter-Korean cooperation in building railroads, building energy networks, and etc. But there were no follow-up measures by South Korea. That is why North Korea has been saying that uh, you know South Korea did not uh, its own due with regard to the Panmunjom Declaration. How would you respond to North Korea in these arguments? Yeah, we argue that we have international, you know, and domestic constraints. Therefore, you know, we we need the time to resolve those kinds of issues. But North Korea has become very much imp- impatient mm. with our move. That is why, you know, North Korea has shown that kind of behavior. Now we just mentioned the uh, the liaison office up in uh, in Kaesong. If the liaison office was simply a means of reducing the risk of inter-Korean conflict that both parties agreed to participate in, wouldn't the North consistently turn up to the meetings? Uh, the North Korea still maintain about fifteen members in uh, in liaison office in Kaesong. Right, but they work among themselves. They don't meet with their South Korean counterparts. No, they met regularly, you know. Therefore, but the. Uh, whole point is that they do not have an agenda to discuss right now. Mm. Okay, and because the liaison office in Kaesong is supposed to deal with all the logistic issues pertaining to reconnection of railroad system and also the infrastructure construction and the energy network. But uh, there have not been any follow-up measures. Therefore, in fact, they have very little to discuss. And more than that, South Korean government has failed to provide any humanitarian assistance to North Korea. Yeah, why is that? What's holding that back? No, because I think it's a, in a self-restraint on the part of the South Korean government, because American government has been very tough on the, even on the humanitarian assistance to North Korea. Therefore, we have been complying with that one. But fortunately, President Trump you know, sent a signal that the South Korea, it is the right time for South Korea to engage with North Korea for humanitarian assistance. Mm-hmm. Maybe from now on, the role of the liaison office in Kaesong can be changed. Now, last weekend's missile launches or projectile launches, whatever you want to call them, were you troubled by them? No, we are concerned about the North Korean launching, uh, you know, the short-range missile, as well as, you know, uh, multiple you know, rocket launchers. Mm. You know. But anyhow, it is a you know, kind of military act on the part of North Korea. So why do you think North Korea did it at this time? Uh, maybe you know, in North Korea want to send a message to the United States that uh, we are ready for even military confrontation if the United States continue to stick on the hardline policy. At the same, it is, at the same time, it is a very you know, routine measure on the part of North Korea because uh, allocate U.S. You know, conducted a joint uh, Air Force, you know, training, and also the U.S. showed some signs of, you know, um, activities regarding the SAD system. But it was the first time in 18 months, I think, wasn't it, that North Korea uh, performed such a launch? So it's not really been routine for the last year and a half. No, but if you read very carefully the words of Kim Jong-un, when Kim Jong-un told the military commanders in North Korea is this, we got prepared. Yeah. And, uh, uncertain event. Therefore, in the sense, we can say it is very much, you know, self-defensive. 
in the move on the part of North Korea. But still, North and South Korea agreed to mm. suspend all hostile activities. Therefore, it could have been much better for North Korea abide by the that agreement. So what does that launch then mean for uh, inter-Korean relations? Do you expect you know, uh, the South Korean government will uh, slow down some measures or, or do something uh, in retaliation? No, we don't think it is, you know, the, the, or the North Korea's, you know, rocket launchers, you know, would trigger any kinds of retari- retaliatory measure from South Korea. But, okay, you know, if you, if you put yourself in North Korean position, you know, we have acquired, F, acquired the F-35 stealth fighter and all that kinds of things. Therefore, North Korea could have been somebody you know, concerned about it. But anyhow, it is time for both North and South Korea to take a self-restraint in a posture and then revive the moment of dialogue and negotiation. Now, you uh, recently uh, wrote um, or said, uh, quote, we need to examine forms of inter-Korean economic cooperation that are possible within the current framework without violating UN Security Council sanctions or independent US sanctions, unquote. So what actually, what's the... The, the extent uh, of what's possible at the moment. You know, humanitarian assistance does not violate UN sanction resolutions, even American unilateral sanction moves against North Korea. If we could have done that, but of, of, apparently, despite whole in you know, international sanction regime, the State Department has been echoing in you know, opposition to any kinds of humanitarian assistance to North Korea. I think that's wrong, and the South Korean government is wrong too. Okay, if Humanitarian assistance such as food and medical supplies does not violate the international sanction regime. The South Korean government should go ahead with it. But does does humanitarian aid actually count as economic cooperation? No, it's to separate one. Right, but that's what. So, but in, in the quote that I just read, you were talking about inter-Korean economic cooperation should be explored within the framework of the sanctions. So, I'm wondering. What economic cooperation is possible? Yeah, for example, you know, look, Chinese tourists go to Mount Gumgang. Why can South Koreans inter tourists go to the Mount Gumgang individually? What we are concerned about is the transfer of bulk cash. If individual South Korean tourists go to Pyongyang, it's not the transfer of bulk cash, okay? And another, you know, for example, gas and industrial complex. We yeah. can talk about all several other measures. For example, uh, we can resume the, you know, gas and industrial complex, you know, by providing the wages to North Korean workers individually that wouldn't violate the UN sanction resolutions and as to transfer other expenses such as land use and whatever. Now, North Korea can set up the, some kind of escrow account in South Korean bank and North, Korean can, North Koreans can buy from South Korea some consumer goods, some you know, raw materials and intermediate goods and etc. There could be several different ways of you know, reviving in you know, a gas industrial complex. So paying the workers in kind, uh, as, as an example that you Not said. Not in kind, you cash, you know, but, wages to the workers. Right, but if the, if the wages are paid to an escrow account that the workers then use to buy things. No, 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 no then pay, you know, wages to North Korean workers. But then in the past, we used to remit about $13 million per month, ah. okay, of which about the 40% are wages to the North Korean workers. And yeah, we pay wages to North Korean workers. The remainder, and the North Korea can set up an escrow account in South Korean bank yeah. and buy necessary goods from South Korea. But you know, this is one example. But we can talk about all, you know, you know, it is wrong to say that no, it is taboo to resume gas and industrial complex. Not, that is not right 
approaching. What we have to do is that we should come up with some kinds of more creative mm-hmm. ways of reviving gasoline industrial complex and trying to change North Korean behavior on nucleation. So, so it's possible then to reopen Kumgangsan uh, tourist resort and gasoline industrial complex without violating current sanctions. And I think so. You know, of course, they need in a fuller in a consultation with the Sanction Committee of the United Nations Security Council. Therefore, what I'm arguing is this: it is wrong to just close the gasoline yeah. industrial complex. We should work together to find out some solutions, workable solutions, in that way we can change North Korean behavior meaningfully. Now, you said that economic cooperation could encourage denuclearization by North Korea, but isn't that putting the cart before the horse? No, not necessarily. Okay. What North Korea want? North Korea want international recognition. Okay. North Korea want to be a normal state. Okay. Okay. In the process, we can pursue both. We can expedite the process of denuclearization. At the same time, we can expedite the process of marketization and economic development in North Korea. They go in tandem. Mm. All right, let's talk about the uh, the South Korea-U.S. alliance. How do you feel about it? No, it seems okay. But now there are a lot of called, you know, some cracks are now emerging. You know, for example, American excessive demand and defense, defense cost sharing has uh, somewhat made some South Koreans, you know, very disappointed, okay? And also, you know, uh, American you know, pressure for for the purchase of American advanced weapon system by South Korea has caused another concern on the part of uh, the majority of South Koreans. But therefore, alliance remains intact. But there are some, you know, worrisome signs coming from Washington. And I believe you were in Washington not long ago, am I correct? Yes, I was there in last week. So what, what vibe did you get from your interlocutors in Washington? Uh, the majority of Washington pundit, you know, agreed with my view. You know, alliance is important. It's extremely difficult to build alliance. It is easy to you know, dissolve it. Right. Therefore, what they're arguing is this, that American leaders should give a more careful handling of alliance you know, rather than just ruthless in you know, a pressure. Despite the cracks, would you say at the moment that the current uh, alliance status is, is still ironclad? Oh, yeah, I would say that, you know, because President Moon and President Trump talked about the airtight mm-hmm. uh, relationship between the two countries. In, in, in view of that kind of statement, uh, you can say that Iraq's uh, alliance is you know, ironclad. And they spoke in the last 24 hours, didn't they? Yes. I, th- I think I saw in the news this morning they had a 25 or 30-minute telephone conversation. Mm-hmm. Was that about the, the the alliance and the recent missile launches? Do we know anything about that publicly? Uh, you know, about, you know, you know final fully you know, verified denuclearization of North Korea. Right. Alliance is another. Humanitarian assistance is another. Yeah. And several issues. Now, you've been critical of certain things in the past. For example, the stationing of a THAAD battery in South Korea. I have to remember that stands for Terminal High Altitude Aerial Defense. I think I got that right. How do you feel about it now? No, it is there, you know, therefore, but I still, I'm still, you know, uh, questioning the utility of the deployment of that. And I and personally think, is a, my personal view, that uh, we need some kind of more, you know, uh, debate. And But it is much so, because I was in Songju recently, mm. and there's still, you know, many people opposing the deployment of that and et cetera. Therefore, you know, our government should pay attention to you know, their you know, requests and grievances. What purpose does it serve? Yeah, as it is, you know, the thought is designed to intercept, intercept the incoming North Korean missiles. But mm-hmm. you know, questions you know, has been 
reason whether the thought can effectively you know, deter and intercept short-range missile coming from North Korea. There are a lot of you know, experts already has been raising the utility of that in the South Korean context. What makes this administration's cooperation with the United States different from that of the Normo Hyun administration uh, over 10 years ago? Normo Hyun, the Normo Hyun government was somewhat confrontational with the United States, but eventually, you know, they have been cooperating together. You know, Normo Hyun government sent, you know, its it, it forces to Iraq. Okay, the one regiment, okay, and also President Nomoyan, you know, despite all opposition, he pushed hard to create the Pyongyang, you know, American military base with a huge budget. Mm. And therefore, you know, if you talk with Americans, particularly in like, uh, you know, Michael Green, who was a senior director of you know, Asian Affairs at the Bush White House, he says that the, the alliance uh, relations between Nomoyan government were really solid despite all kinds of cacophonies. Mm. Do you feel it's, it's so? Is it about the same now, or is it is it any better these days? Have you ever seen any time the President Moon Jae-in raised the President Nomoyan kinds of you know provocative remarks on the U.S.? Well, I know I haven't. Not recently. No, not at all. Uh, no. Therefore, President Moon has been a uh, President Moon has been much more loyal to the you know, American alliance. And he has been really careful and prudent in dealing with the United States. President Norman Hyun sometimes make very provocative and controversial remarks, but President Moon has not done that. No, I, that would, I would agree with that assessment. Uh, let's talk about vi- different visions of uh, unification. You mentioned earlier that uh, uh, the Park Geun-hye uh, administration clearly had a, uh, a unification ministry, uh, sorry, a vision of unification based on the idea of uh, a North Korean collapse and unification by absorption. Uh, last year in your book uh, called The Rules of Peace, uh, you wrote about four different types of unification, one being a, a single unified state of one ethnic people, another being a federation, a third being low-level federation or confederation, and a fourth being a, a league between two different states, a North-South League. And I was wondering if you could just uh, briefly walk us through each of the four of these and how they differ from each other. Single unified you know, nation-state of one ethnic group refers to one nation, one Korean nation, one state, one system, and one government. They can be achieved in either through the unification by absorption in South Korean terms, or communization of South Korea in North Korean terms. In reality, that is totally you know, unrealizable. In both ways? In both ways. Okay, no, in both ways. But second, federation or confederation, that is more uh, proper term. Federation okay. has been the proposal of North Korean leader since the days of Kim Il-sung. Uh, federation presupposes that the uh, one Korean nation, one state, two local government, and two systems. And our government has never accepted the proposal. reason is very simple. You cannot have communism and capitalism under the one state umbrella. Confederation is also a North Korean proposal. That means that one Korean nation, one state, two extremely decentralized local governments, and two systems. But our government strongly believes that uh, this one state and two systems idea is not acceptable. Mm. That is why since 1989, that was during the 
Nortel government came up with a proposal called the Korea Community, Korea right. National Community, you know, unification proposal that later, you know, evolved into the Union of North South Korean State between the Kim Dae-jung government. And current Moon Jae-in government also accepted that proposal. That is a, not really, you know, North South League. It is called a, a Union of North South Korean States. But under that formula, one Korean nation, two states, two systems, and two governments. But like in European Union, those two states engage in full cooperation and form a uh, institutionalized pattern of integration so that we can have free flow of people, goods, and services. And Pre- information. Uh, yeah, information too. Then that is why President Kim Dae-jung called it the de facto mm-hmm. as opposed to dure unification. Therefore, our government it has been following that kind of incremental, peaceful approach to unification. The ultimate form of unification, whether it be a single unified nation state, federation, confederation, or union of no South Korean state, or just the perpetual division. That will be decided by the national referendum. A, a national referendum in both North and South Korea. Precisely. But isn't the problem that... I mean, you know, uh, South Korea, there are many different political opinions. There are many different political parties. You've got progressives and conservatives. Uh, in North Korea, as they proudly say, they have ilshim uh, dangyol, you know, the, the, the single-minded uh, solidarity or unity. Uh, if there was a referendum, doesn't it seem more likely that most people in North Korea would vote in a very similar way, whereas South Korea, being as fractured as it is, would vote in multiple different ways? That's a good point, but you're forgetting one thing. There will be change in North Korea, too. Before the referendum. Be- before the referendum. And also, if you know, unless there is some kind of democratic form of representation in North Korea, that's, that kind of national referendum would not work. But they argue that they have a, you know, they had elections, as you know, just two months ago. So North Korea would argue, we have democratic representation. Everybody voted. Uh, no, but again, think about passage of time. When you talk about this kind of union of North South Korean state uh-huh. and relatively free flow of people, goods, and services, now you go back to Europe. In 1980s, okay, therefore, in other words, there will be change in North Korea. And then, when we are convinced that, that there is a free election in North Korea, then we'll uh, we'll come forward to hold this in a national referendum. If there is a central coordination of the electoral process in North Korea, it is very unlikely for South Korean government to accept it. However, once there is a deeper degree of integration of North South Korean in a state, in which North Korea will be much more marketized, and North Korea would have uh, some form of a civil society, then things could be very, very different from the present status. But these things that you mentioned, they sound to me like they might be quite threatening to the North Korean leadership, the current North Korean leadership. No, I don't think so. And North Korean leader is a quite competent, okay? Because a North Korean leader is willing to go for opening and reform. North Korean leader is willing to go for marketization, then let us help through this kind of form of quasi or interim stage of unification. What what about uh, as a test, if the Moon Jae-in administration tomorrow were to suggest to uh, Kim Jong-un, let's begin with something simple like a postal exchange. People can write letters to 
family members on the other side and every every day we'll bring a you know bags of letters to the to Panmunjom and you take them and deliver them and you bring them do you think that uh, kim jong un would be in favor of a postal exchange with south korea maybe but uh, but that, that is just tied up to the process of denuclearization and peace building in korea if north korea doesn't you know feel any kind of threat coming from the united states and south korea north korean leader will come for you know, come forward you know to do that I think I'd like to re- recommend a postal exchange as something that could happen without breaking any sanctions. In fact, the North and South Korea agreed to have a so-called the virtual union of separate families. Well, but that's... again, finally, sanction committee approved the transfer of equipment, in, which is essential for the virtual you know, video reunion of separate families. But that can be a good start. Mm-hmm. Later on, we can talk about exchange of you know, mails between North, the North and the South. At the moment, which is your favorite model? Uh, I think you sound like you're leaning toward, towards the model of unification that is a, a union of North and South Korean states. That seems to be your favorite. Yes. Has that always been your favorite model? Oh, yes. Okay. Uh, is that the one that uh, President Moon also seems to favor at the moment? Yes. And how do you think uh, Kim Jong-un feels about uh, that? Has he been asked? No, I go back to his father. In fact, in, in, uh, I attended the first Korean summit in June 2000. And at the time, you know, Chairman Kim Jong-il and President Kim Dae-jung engaged in the intense debate on this model of unification. And then finally, you know, uh, Chairman Kim Jong-un told the President Kim Dae-jung, this union of North-South Korean state makes sense. Mm-hmm. And they even asked the President Kim Dae-jung, how long would it take? And President Kim Dae-jung told him that if external environments allowed, that it would take at least, you know, within 10 years, we can achieve that kind of union of North South Korean states. Do you feel that could still be done within 10 years if they started now? Oh, yes. Uh, the, Definitely no, here, we are talking about union of North South Korean states. The, the, the Korean word for that is Nambuk Yonhap, is that Nambuk correct? Yonhap. Okay, so I, I interpret that as league, but you use the word union, like, yeah, yeah. A, like the European Union. Yeah. Right, okay. It's very similar to European Union because individual, member, uh, individual members of the European Union retain its sovereignty. Yeah, and their own military. On everything. Their own foreign affairs. Yes. Okay. How do you feel about South Korean attitudes towards unification these days? Do you feel that most South Koreans still earnestly desire unification in this lifetime? It's all dependent on the, 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 the definition of unification. It is a really nonsensical that uh, our people's understanding of unification seems to be very, very low. Okay? They, now, when they talk about unification, it's unification only by absorption. Then... Unification by, by obsession like a German model, it will be extremely expensive. That is why particularly young people have been opposing the idea of you know, Korean unification. But when I engage with them and then explaining different concepts of unification, and when I pointed out all this incremental peaceful unification through union of North South Korean state, they all supported that you know, idea. It won't cost a lot of money. Uh, well, hang on a second, because even that model, if we again, if we use the analogy of the European Union, uh, if you ask Europeans from, say, the Netherlands or Germany or, or Denmark, how do they feel about the European Union? They would say, well, we don't like the transfer payments of large amounts of cash to countries like Greece or Italy or Spain to prop up 
you know, their economies. Uh, and so transfer payments, isn't that simply another way of, of, of you know, uh, redistributing wealth from the wealthier parts of the union to the less wealthy parts? And the same thing could be said in a north-south union of, uh, of Korean states here, that uh, South Korea would end up paying large transfer amounts to North Korea to help its economy. But uh, we, we can think about what the benefit of unification too. If there is a truly peaceful coexistence between North and South Korea, we can have we can enjoy enormous in a peace dividend. Our defense cost will go down, mm. okay, and also our economy will open up the new horizon in North Korea. There will be a great degree of uh, you know, division of labor between North and South Korea, okay, and then we can create a new economic momentum. Therefore, if you come up with a simple arithmetic calculation of the trans- transfer cost, and maybe that kind of union of North South South Korean state uh, could be expensive. But however, you know, if you look at other aspects of that kind of uh, integration rather than unification, then it will be very extremely beneficial to South Korea and North Korea. Of course, North Korea will be in a beneficiary. Okay? Therefore, now okay, you can compare European integration versus German unification, which was more costly. Obvious German unification was much more costly. Yeah, per capita, that's true. Uh, would the uh, the Union of South and North Korean states be possible with a free free movement of peoples? Or North would- Korea will try to you know, control the free flow of people, but even if, no matter how you know, controlled, there will be incrementally increasing number of people going and coming in and coming out. Mm-hmm. I would say that that's a very positive sign. I mean, again, looking at the German example, if given a choice, looking for economic opportunity, I think you'd find that there'd be a lot more people coming south initially for the first 10 to 20 years than those going north. But a lot of South Koreans will go to North Korea too for their investment, joint ventures, okay, new job opportunities, and etc. Okay, Of course, for the time being, it will be very much controlled by authorities. However, in opening up the kinds of exchange and cooperation between the North and South Korea, will open up the new page of a peace and prosperity in Korea. You met uh, Chairman Kim Jong-un last year in Panmunjom, didn't mm-hmm. you? Yeah. Uh, what, what impression did you get of him? I met him both in Panmunjom and Pyongyang. Ah, and Pyongyang. Uh, he's quite impressive in a person, very young but very charismatic, and he was very well informed about what's going on in the world. He was uh, much more you know, decisive. And and also very entertaining, you know. When we raise your questions, whatever he would answer them in a very you know openly. Therefore, you know, compared to, to the past, in you know, still typing of Kim Kim Jong Un, the Kim Jong Un whom I saw mm. in Panmunjom and Pyongyang, Pyongyang was very different. As, as far as you could see, does he share his father's? Uh idea that the unification, oh sorry, the union of two Korean states is a, is the best way to go forward? We haven't discussed yet, but okay. if you look at the Article 2 of June 15 Joint Declaration, which was adopted in Pyongyang in 2000, uh, in 2000 yeah. and in Article 2 uh, stipulated that, that there is a commonality between South Korean proposal of union of North South Korean state and North Korean proposal of lower level of Federation, uh, both sides agreed to, you know, to study under the commonality between two proposals. But since then on, there was no progress in that one. But I think that I got an impression that President Moon Jae-in, as well as Chairman Kim Jong-un, are now much more interested in peace mm. and prosperity rather than unification. 
And I think that's a very healthy step. Do you think uh, North Korea can develop or change significantly while Kim Jong-un remains the leader? I think so. Because uh, yeah, I got an impression that the Kim Jong-un is really committed to change in North Korea. He's a, for example, go back to April 20th in 2018. You mm. know, he made it very clear that, uh, you know, he wanted to, you know, resuscitate the socialist, uh, in know, economic construction in North Korea. And also he realized the importance of science and technology in, in, uh, in uh, precipitating, you know, what sustaining economic development and to the role of you know, human capital training and investment. But all these kinds of emphasis shows that uh, he is very much concerned about uh, economic and social changes in North Korea. Are you familiar with the book and, uh, and columns by uh, former North Korean diplomat Taeyong Ho? I've read some of them, but not all. But uh, Now, I've read his book, and it, it, he has a, a much more uh, negative or, or cynical view of, of North Korean uh, negotiations. Uh, I think basically his argument is that uh, negotiations about nuclear weapons has always been to buy time to, to finish the project, you know, to, uh, to uh, make North Korea a nuclear state. That when, what does North Korea get out of it? Sanctions, what? isolation, containment? No, North Korea cannot pursue Pakistani model. No. And I would say, and then what is Taeyong Ho's in other alternative? Then stop negotiating with North Korea? Fight with North Korea? Could North Korea be recognized as a de facto nuclear state? No, but South Korea will never accept it. We are a member of NPT, Non-Proliferation Treaty. And North Korea can never be a legitimate nuclear weapon state. Therefore, we cannot recognize it. But we are aware of its nuclear weapons capability. Yeah. They are now we are engaging in negotiation with North Korea. So is the denuclearization of North Korea a possible and worthwhile goal? Oh, yes, of course. Otherwise, why do you engage with North Korea? Well, there's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of potential reasons for that, but uh, uh, you know, that, that's, uh, that's not for me to answer. But you think that that goal is it's a realistic one, it's feasible? I think it's feasible, it's depending upon our strategy and tactics. How, how would any steps towards denuclearization be verified? Verification is essential. We have one fundamental problem. Declaration and verification yes. are a very important part of the, the process of denuclearization. But when I talk to the very senior North Korean officials, their approach is very different from ours. How can you know, one senior official of North Korea tell me that, how can we declare what we have, mm. nuclear facilities, materials, and bombs, and missiles, then we'll be telling our enemy North Korea. It is tantamount to giving the U.S. a so-called attack list to right. North Korea. Therefore, we cannot do that. Therefore, what North Korean senior official told me was that that is why we need the initial trust building. And then when we got a feeling that uh, even if we provide the list of all these nuclear facilities, weapons, and missiles, we don't feel like to be attacked by the United States. At mm. that point, they're likely to you know, declare and accept international inspection and go through verification. But the American approach is very different. Mm. Look, you're talking about complete denuclearization yeah. without declaring. How can you go for it? Here is a you know, kind of fundamental dilemma uh, between the two. But still, you know, but my basic argument is this. Our government proposal, there is, what, comprehensive agreement and you know, complete denuclearization, what, comprehensive agreement and complete denuclearization, incremental implementation uh, based on the uh, workable roadmap with a specific timetable. 
So you mean declare little by little? No, not declare, implementation. Then implementation will go with the declaration, okay? Maybe we might have to implement what is declared by North Korea in the initial right. phase. But once trust is built up, then we can negotiate under a much larger scope of, you know, uh, denuclearization. Would outside uh, inspectors be used to verify? Yeah. As to the non-military purposes, International Atomic Energy Agency inspection is essential. But, you know, North Korea's had problems with IAEA inspectors in the past. I mean, it, it said very clearly that inspections are a violation of North Korean state sovereignty and dignity. But North Korea should accept it. Therefore, non-military nuclear facilities you know, should be inspected by officials of expert of International Atomic Energy Agency. As to the nuclear bomb, that's mm. a different story. You know, that should be worked out between the U.S. and North Korea, hopefully in consultation with P5, mm. uh, with the Security Council. Has anybody tried to convince Kim Jong-un of that idea yet? No, I think they're working on it. Okay. Um, what... Uh what are your best and worst case scenarios for the next five to ten years? They're very difficult to tell. The worst case scenario is what major military in a confrontation on the Korean Peninsula, large human casualties, and the in a prosperous economy, and all these kinds of things. Large refugees coming out both North and South Korea. I would say that is the worst case scenario. But the best scenario, you know, the President Trump worked out a negotiated deal. Uh, negotiate settlement with North Korea, and North Korea began to dismantle its nuclear facilities, materials, and even bombs. You know, no matter how incremental, okay. And uh, there is a resumption of inter-Korean exchange and cooperation, and then North Korea go for opening and reform, marketization, and North Korea would have a civil society, and that kind of virtuous cycle mm -hmm. uh, would be the most you know hopeful scenario. What's the bare minimum that North Korea needs to do right now to get some kind of sanctions relief? We know they need and want sanctions relief. Look, sanction for the sake of sanction does not work. You've got to be very wise and flexible in using sanctions. If North Korea give up Yongbyon nuclear facilities completely and permanently, I would give you know, sanction relief. And then North Korea neither will use it for you know, opening and reform, then marketization process in North Korea will be fastened, okay? Then we can expect the big domestic changes in North Korea. This um, uh, idea of giving up Yongbyon in return for sanctions relief, this is uh, allegedly what North Korea wanted in Hanoi. Uh, there was some miscommunication or misunderstanding. Right? The, the, press con the midnight press conference, uh, Che Sun-hee and her colleagues said, this is what we wanted, uh, but... You know, the American side said, no, they wanted a lot more than that. What do you think? What went wrong in, in Hanoi? But I think that apparently the President Trump said uh, at his press conference that uh, North Korea did not want to give up entire nuclear you know, facilities and, and then, uh, the laboratories in Yangbyon. Mm. They want the partial, dismant partial. partial dismantling for all the lifting the lifting of all the sanctions. Yeah. But later in the, later on, Leon Ho at the midnight press conference right, said Ho, yeah. we our leader said that we are willing to give up all nuclear facilities in Yangbyon permanently and for uh, five UN sanctioned resolutions since two thousand sixteen. Mm. Therefore there was some kind of discrepancy between President Trump yeah. and uh, Foreign Minister Leon Ho.
Was that a misunderstanding? I don't know. I don't know. We should figure it out. But we have been listening to American side history, but yeah. we haven't heard the North Korean side history. That is why North Korea should come out and explain their yeah. views more actively, you know. They have tried to sell Yongbyon a few times before, right? I mean, this is not the first time that Yongbyon has been on the table in exchange for things. And, you know, Americans have this saying that uh, don't try to sell me the same horse twice. No, and that's wrong. It's why? not the same horse. Why, why is it not Yongbyon the same horse? Yongbyon in 1994 is nothing. Five megawatt nuclear reactor. And just a little part of the fuel fabrication plant. Okay. But Yongbyon now, mm. it has a five megawatt nuclear reactor, fuel fabrication plant, radiochemical liprocessing plant. It has a laboratory for the lithium and tritium production. It has a you know, uh, 2,000 centrifuge system and highly enriched uranium you know, enrichment facility. Yeah. It has a Yongbyon in the R&D center, Yongbyon's this College of Science and Technology. Altogether, in Yongbyon County area, more than 372 buildings. If North Korea are willing to give them up, mm. that's a big deal. But uh, again, American problem is this. Now go back to 2002. Yeah. There was the beginning of second nuclear crisis. Right, with, uh, with Kelly, uh, Jim Kelly. Uh, James Kelly in a visit to Pyongyang, October 2nd, 2002. But again, same old story at a time. The Plutonium production was totally frozen as a result of the double-grid framework. But uh, the, this highly enriched uranium program was under preparation. Therefore, we could have settled that problem through dialogue and negotiation. But by changing this uh, now unrealized highly enriched uranium program, Americans let plutonium out of you know Pandora's yeah. box. Therefore, in other words, America made the I think wrong exchange between sold future nuclear program for the imminent present nuclear programs. Therefore, I would apply the same analogy to the current situation. Okay. Nowadays, if you go to Washington, people talk about the old hidden nuclear facilities like in highly uranium program in Kangsan and elsewhere. Mm. And they are downplaying the importance of Yongbyon facilities and they are closing up the other facilities. I think there is exactly the same as the same mistake which the U.S. committed in 2002. Mm. If North Korea are willing to give up Yongbyon facilities, let us accept them and relax some sanctions. If not U.N. sanctions, then the U.S. can allow inter-Korean economic exchange and cooperation mm -hmm. and build a trust and then move to the next stage. In fact, Foreign Minister Lee Hong-ho said, if after Yongbyon, if we build the trust, we can move into next stage. At the end of this month, you'll be going to Jeju Island for the Jeju Peace Forum. Uh, what will you be talking about there? I'll be moderating the several sessions. I'll be mostly moderating sessions ah. rather than giving talks. In general, are you still hopeful for uh, the future of uh, inter-Korean dialogue and uh, North Korea-US dialogue and denuclearization? Yes. What I get if I be... If I remain skeptic, you know, and a cynics or pessimist, nothing come out. Only when you are optimist, of course, you got to be prudential optimist, you can make something positive. Well, you know what they say, a pessimist can never be disappointed. He can only be happily surprised. An optimist can always be disappointed. Oh, yeah. But still, once if you are chronic pessimist, then no progress at all, you, because you wouldn't do anything. Thank you very, very much, Professor Moon, for your time today. 
I appreciate you uh, allowing us to come to your office to interview you for NK News Podcast. Thank you. Thanks also to Christina Lee of NK News for being my on-the-spot producer. Post-production editing will be done, as always, by Ari Astaire. And don't forget, listeners, please share this podcast with others and consider subscribing to nknews.org. Thanks for listening again next time. Music.